0: Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College, London. Hello listeners, I'm Gabby, I'm a PhD student at the CRCRM and today I'm joined by Dr. Kevin Shalhoub, a PI at the Wellcome MRC Cambridge Stem Cell Institute. Uh, Thank you for joining us. You're
1: welcome.
0: Uh, You're here to do a talk today about mechanical Mm signalling in stem cells. So perhaps you could start us off by just talking about what your role is at Cambridge and the research that you're doing there.
1: Well, my role in Cambridge is I'm a well lecturer, group leader uh, at, at Cambridge. I started out um, really in uh, in physics. In fact, that's what my all of my background is in. In fact, but I got um, I got a uh, I was invited over to to bring my group over to the Stem Cell Institute at Cambridge to try to investigate some of the physical factors that might be uh driving stem cell fate choice we can go more into that if you want but um yeah so i'm a group leader there and uh starting out um trying to uh understand the physical biology of cell fate choice
0: so sort of specifically what what is your research that you're currently undertaking at the moment in that your biotech lab is that right
1: well yeah although it's been kind of evolving um in perhaps a, I think a kind of natural way where we're moving, we, we kind of do a bit of technology but we move more more into actually trying to drive and answer the, the questions, the, the outstanding questions of stem cell biology. And I think this all started with what I've always been fascinated with, which is trying to understand stem cell fate choice or fate choice within development. And and what I mean by that is that, you know, clearly stem cells or progenitor cells in, in um, uh, in the in the in the organism, have a sort of choice whether to make copies of themselves or to become something different, uh, and so that's interesting in and of itself. Is how do they decide that? How do they maintain tissue uh, through that kind of simple uh, binary choice in some ways? But the other thing, but but even more kind of fascinating, or what what I got into quite a few years ago, is this idea that that stem cells, um, be in becoming something different, it seems to be that they go through quite a few kind of intermediate steps in order to become that something different, like a tissue cell, for example. Um, they seem to go through a lot of intermediate uh, kind of steps or checkpoints if you want. Um, in other words, this kind of fate choice is a, is a process. It's not something that just, uh, Happens suddenly through the pro, uh, through cell division or whatever. Like people, I think long thought, and this is becoming increasingly clear, at least in some systems. And uh, what I kind of became very very interested in was, is a stem cell is going through this journey, um, the exact point that it that it changes, because it doesn't seem, at least from some of the systems that we've been looking at, like it's like it's a gradual linear change. It seems like it's just something where it's changing, it's changing a little bit, it's changing a little bit, and then, bam. Changes, and uh, that seems to be the case. Although we need more evidence to really show that, and so I'm interested in this and from two perspectives in my lab. One is trying to understand the timing and dynamics of that—the exact, you know, moment or moments where that that kind of you know big transition seems to be happening, where if you want it becomes irreversible. Yeah. And, uh, and we're understanding, we're trying to understand that from quite a few sort of physics perspectives, uh, and. Um, Another aspect of it, which is what I'm going to talk about today, is is that we strongly believe, and we have quite a bit of evidence, that that choice um, is at least in, in part determined by the mechanical microenvironment, the, um, the the sort of mechanical surroundings of the of the cell. They all all cells within tissue reside in in this thing called extracellular matrix, which is this network, it can be a fibrous network or whatever, um, that sort of uh, determine a lot about the, the tissue properties and, and, how the, and how the stem cells and tissue cells act. And, um, and it just turns out that it seems like if you change the mechanical properties of that extracellular matrix, it really changes the way the stem cell is making these choices. If you want, it sort of contextualizes the choices that a cell makes. That if you get, give cells all the same chemicals that if they're in a soft environment, they'll respond differently to those chemicals than when they're in a stiff environment. And so these two aspects, the dynamics of these decisions um, and the sort of mechanical context of these decisions is something that has been fascinating us for a long time. And you know, it started out with trying to build tools to understand this, but it moved more and more towards using those tools to try to, to understand this better.
0: Sounds very cool. <laughs> Thanks. So you build these tools in your lab as well as as using them, so yes. you've got a very broad spectrum of people working in your lab. Is that right? yes, yes, yeah, physicists, yeah. biologists, cell biologists, and
1: engineers. Yeah, engineers. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so we we uh um it's all a bit mad sometimes, but uh <laughs> but yeah there's it's it's uh. The, big, the biggest challenge is to try to get people, or I, I consider my biggest role to be to try to get people to to talk to one another in a way that each other understands. And, and, and to be honest, that's not... I, I don't think that always... I think that there's a lot of... I think there's some... It feels like... Sometimes it feels like there's two steps forward, two steps back, sometimes two steps forward and three steps back, and sometimes you move a little bit forward on that. But it's really tricky because people are really... indoctrinated into their particular sort of training and uh, you know getting people to sort of open their minds to um, how other people think about things uh, is very interesting because physicists and engineers and biologists are trained extremely differently and think about problems very differently.
0: (laughs) Yeah so I guess that that could be one of the major challenges of something like mechanics. Challenging, but do you find a lot more people are looking at mechanical signaling now? Sort of. Yes. Than chemical signaling,
1: Yeah, I think more people are getting interested in it because yeah. as there gets to be more and more sort of accrued evidence that that uh, that it's important. Uh, I think it it's. Uh, the, the field really started out. Um, actually, people used to think about this a lot uh, back before the sort of molecular biology revolution about the shape of cells and what that might mean. And of course, shape of cells is determined by mechanics, it's yeah. not determined by chemicals. Um, you know, shape is a balance of forces, if you want. Yeah. Um, so people used to think about that a lot more, but then the molecular biology revolution happened, and I think it was kind of shoved aside. Uh, and then it came in in a bit perhaps of an awkward way where you had people. Uh, basically coming in and saying, well, we're putting cells on soft or stiff substrates, and it turns out that that's the only thing that you need to determine cell fate choice. Right. And I think that, that everybody kind of quickly determined that that was maybe a bit of an oversell, yeah. that, uh, that what we needed to understand was, was signaling, yeah. and the mechanical signaling is part of that signaling. And how that integrates with the chemicals and the chemical signaling and you know, cytokines and growth factors, et cetera, is, is actually the, the frontier of this, of this field because uh, it's clearly contextualizing it somehow, but we don't know how.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of link between chemical and mechanical signaling. They're sort of never separate yeah. sort of entities.
1: Exactly, and, and, and yeah, and, and as more as we learn more about this, more people from both sides are getting interested yeah. in this, I think.
0: So can, can you incorporate chemical signaling into the models that you use in your lab, then?
1: Well, we try. <laughs> it's not easy, as yeah. I'm sure you can imagine. I think that, that in some sense, I think that there is some resistance uh, on all sides even even myself sometimes uh in in the sense that chemical signaling was already difficult enough you know without uh, trying to throw something else into the mix but it does seem like somehow or another uh you know when when all of this is written down in a textbook somewhere in years uh years to come uh it, it's probably the case that people will just talk about Signaling that there's some holistic way that signaling works that we just don't we just don't have that view yeah. of it yet somehow yeah. like we're just seeing the, the trees and somehow it all has to come together uh, yeah but I think that a lot of people just look at it as well okay I don't need another tree you know this yeah. is this is we <laughs> uh, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah
0: fair enough. Um, so what with the research that you're doing at the moment and specifically I guess the role of mechanical signaling in stem cells what do you think's been a really exciting discovery for you in
1: your lab? Uh, gosh Uh, (laughs) i i get excited about a lot of things even little things uh well what i was what i'm going to talk about today i guess is 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 um is exciting to me. I mean, one of the things we work on several aspects of stem cells. We work not only on sort of normal function of stem cells and development mm-hmm. and how they can, and so that so there's some things that have fascinated me there. Like one of the things I guess is that uh, um, that what we are kind of finding in my lab and studying very early cell fate decisions, cell fate choice, is that there's uh, particular signals that drive the identity of that sulfate choice, and this is well known. If you put a certain signal into certain cells at a certain time, they will become the, the right thing that they're supposed to become. But the thing that's kind of fascinated me is that those very same signals are often used to um, drive the mechanical changes in the cells. And get, they get them to the right place in, in development. And this idea that, that, that signals might drive both identity of the cells and the mechanical properties that give them the position yeah. that they need, is is a really fascinating thing, and I think that in that 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 sort of um has, has been extremely fascinating to me. Although that's been a process like yeah. any discovery, um. But then the other thing uh, that I was going to talk about today is really more about aging actually, aging. um and the in the context of, uh, um, you know how mechanics might be driving aging in the in the brain, uh and. It's very hot topic. Yeah, and so so this is this is something that that I, I thought was a really that I think is a really exciting discovery is that uh, that there are certain types of cells, stem cells or progenitor cells in the brain called oligodendrocyte progenitor cells, which make uh, cells that make the myelin around axons, uh, and uh, myelin is extremely important for axon, axonal function, and um, it turns out that that as we get older, or at least as animals get older, most of this study was done in rats, though I think it's probably a lot of this seems to be true in humans, so harder to study, that the brain of the rat uh, progressively stiffens as they get older. And uh, it turns out that if you can take those uh, progenitor cells that I was talking about, uh, which lose function as they age, and fool them, deceive them into thinking that they're in a soft environment, then they can completely function just like the neonatal OPCs, or the, the progenitor cells. So we've been able to, in a sense, just, it, it turns out that we can really, at least in this progenitor cell system, uh, in rats, and in fact in mice too, uh, we've also looked, um, we can sort of rejuvenate these progenitor cells just by kind of softening the, the environment or deceiving them into thinking that it's a soft environment.
0: That's very cool. So you just sort of reverse their fate, as it were. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Wow. They, they become just like Neonatal cells. So I'll talk about this today. I thought. I thought. I think it's really quite quite fascinating, and we were pretty surprised. You know, we thought we might see something interesting there, but we were we were pretty surprised at how complete the 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 sort of reprogramming, the rejuvenation of these cells is. Sounds
0: amazing. Do you reckon that could ever be sort of translated, as it were, in people who? Yeah. Age-related neurodegeneration.
1: Yeah. I, I hope so.
0: Somehow, sort of soften <laughs> there.
1: Yeah. So I don't think that sense. I think that softening the, the I, I suspect that there's a good reason why our brains and our organs change mechanical properties as we age. Uh, it could be down to increased immune function or whatever. I mean, obviously, aging. Hap- there's no evolutionary pressure to yeah. not to not do that. So so it seems to be some kind of runaway effect that our that at least our brain and it seems other organs get uh, change their mechanical properties a lot. Um, so I don't think that like, you know, yeah, softening an organism is a good idea. I don't think anybody's going to sign up for that. Um, but, uh, for a particular progenitor cell system, adult stem cell system, um, this could be really interesting, especially since, (coughs) um, we found a couple of targets that, um, that we can kind of, as I said, we can deceive the cells to thinking that they're in a soft environment even if they're in a stiff environment so you can kind of break the mechanical signaling that happens in these cells and that's interesting from a stem cell therapy perspective in the sense that if you're transplanting cells perhaps you can just edit them uh, and, and get them in and get them in exactly, yeah, exactly. but if you can put as is sort of uh, you know Cell specific uh, gene editing and in, in vivo move forward, and that's one of the things that we did uh, for this work that I'm going to talk about today. Um, you know, maybe you can actually just edit the resident cells into fooling, deceive yeah. them into thinking they're in a soft environment, increase function that way. So, that's, those are the kinds of ideas that we've been thinking about. So, hopefully, it's useful. Very cool.
0: Uh, I'll just ask one final question then. Mm-hmm. You mentioned previously that your PhD was in physics. Mm-hmm. Sort of what first interested you to get into biophysics biotechnology how what was your sort of career path leading up to where you are now
1: uh that's that's uh it's it's kind of a i'm trying to think of the short answer version (laughs) of that The the thing was is it was that i got i did my phd in pure physics it was accelerator physics i didn't involve biology at all um, and it was just a set of circumstances. I had children when I was in graduate school, and I wasn't really sure if I wanted to continue in science until so I needed to find a local postdoc, essentially, yeah. because just to see. And I always thought, well, I'll try a postdoc and um, see if I like it, and then either go on in science or go into industry or whatever, a like mm-hmm. choice that many people have. And uh, I just kind of went door-to-door trying to ask some people if they wanted a <laughs> postdoc. It wasn't something that I put a whole lot of thought into. I mean, I tried to find some of things that were moderately relevant, to be, but to be honest, I was casting a very wide net. And it just so happened that I joined a group that, ex- that was going to use some of my skills in, uh, in essentially uh, laser physics, uh-huh. uh, which I picked up in my PhD, um, uh, to, to work in, in essentially uh, cancer detection. And I quickly like met this collaborator when I was in the group to start applying some of the technology we were using in my postdoc lab to stem cells. And I, and I it was a little bit, there, there was a kind of moment where I was just like, okay, this is really amazing. You know, you have these things and, you know, we have, we start out as two cells and somehow or another, you have all this plasticity or whatever built into it. And it just becomes this whole organism. And I was just blown away by it, you know, and I thought, okay, this is what I really wanna uh, pursue. But it was um, not something that I strove for. It just, yeah. it just sort of happened.
0: Wow. Well, sounds quite the journey.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think that that's often the way it goes, <laughs> though. I'm not sure how many of us really start out knowing exactly yeah. what we want to do and getting exactly to that point. I'm not sure how often that really works, but maybe for some people.
0: Okay, well, that's all for now. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, well, thank you for coming, yeah. and I'm very excited to listen to your talk. Sorry everyone. <laughs>